Hi, everybody. This is Dr. Eric Corum, founder of AIM7. Welcome back to The Blueprint, where we distill cutting-edge science, leadership, and life skills into simple tactics optimized for your busy lifestyle and goals. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Pat Davidson, an expert in exercise physiology and strength conditioning. Pat is also a best-selling author, consultant, and traveling lecturer, and he's the host of the Pat Davidson Podcast. He's somebody that I've wanted to have on the show for quite some time, so I'm really thankful that he found time to come and spend some time with us. Today, we delve into Pat's unique approach to exercise selection, known as rethinking the big patterns. This algorithmic way of thinking will help you pick the right exercises for your specific goals. We also discuss the important role constraints play in improving training outcomes and mapping out long-term exercise progressions, whether you're an elite athlete or simply looking to improve your fitness. This episode has valuable insights for anyone looking to optimize their performance through exercise. But before we get started, if you want to improve your overall well-being and performance, I invite you to check out my newsletter, Adaptation. Every Friday, I'll send you actionable recommendations for your mind, body, and recovery right to your email. This includes new scientific findings to practical tips and helpful resources I've curated as a performance practitioner. These insights will help you look, feel, and perform better. So don't miss out on this opportunity to transform your health and performance. So sign up now for my newsletter at www.ericcorum.com or by clicking the link in the show notes. But now it's time to lean in and learn from the best. Pat, I want to talk about movement and you have a, a model for big movement patterns. And this is, there's way more to this. I've listened to several episodes on you talking about this from, from a high level overview. What are we getting wrong about movement patterns as somebody that's in their forties now, what should I be thinking about and incorporating in my training? So not only can I say functional, but I can feel good as I age. To me, like, and, and I have this model that I've put together that I teach as a certification group of seminars, the whole, the whole kit and caboodle here. I call it rethinking the big patterns. I have a book that corresponds to this called A Coach's Guide to Optimizing Movement. And the book is, it's like almost 400 pages. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's always hard to know how to distill this down. But the, it's funny, I've taught the seminars enough and I've read like the the things that people will post after attending. And I'm like, oh no, this is the wrong takeaway. You know, people would, would focus on an exercise that they liked or... Uh, you know, oh, this I like frontal plane, like doing that right. And it's like, no, 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 that's not the point of what I'm trying to get across. What the model is that I've created is algorithmic thinking that helps people make better exercise selection choices and then helps people really create very specific pockets of what exercises they should be doing for their specific goals. It is a algorithm that lands you into the the most tightly knit realm of specificity of your training exercise selections as, as you can possibly get. So what do I mean by this? The best way that I can think of is actually through example. If you were to think of the person that will win the gold medal in the skateboarding half pipe at the next Olympics. This person is going to look absolutely nothing 
like a starting nose tackle for an NFL team. Both of them are elite athletes. Seems very reasonable to say that they should probably be using different exercises and maybe different training plans. One athlete, the skateboarder, is someone whose physical capabilities are generally how well can this person spin and tumble while they're in the air? The other person is someone that should, they will be on the ground and the degree to which they can avoid getting spun and tumbling is probably what marks them as being great at their sport. So when I think about all of this stuff, there was a paper that was published, I don't know, last 10 years or so, called the Grand Unifying Theory of Exercise Science. And it's the constraints paper. Constraints are basically boundaries that you have to work inside of. And when you have constraints, it creates directionality and shape takes place once you have constraints. Otherwise, it's just limitless potential. And to me, the world of exercise is way too unlimited potential for people to be able to work with. You know, imagine if you are an NFL offensive coordinator and you show up day one of preseason training and you say, guys, I got this great new plan. I've collected every playbook in the history of NFL football. We've got run and shoot. We've got wishbone. We've run got and West shoot. Coast. Thank you for we've, putting that yeah. in. There. Yeah. We've got wing <laughs> T. We've got Andy Reid stuff. We've got it all. Okay. Right. We're going to learn every single playbook in the history of NFL football. You'll be that doing nothing. Is that is our playbook. Mm -hmm. That's useless. That's absolutely useless. What you need to do is you need to identify the personnel that you have on your team and you have to narrow your playbook down to make the most sense for those, for that personnel group. And once you do that, now it's about executing those plays. That is a great system. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm trying to do here is basically help people identify the different populations that exist and then to create a playbook that is appropriate for those populations. And I'm trying to base this around the Grand Unifying Theory paper of the constraints concept. So within that paper, there's three realms of constraints that matter. There's individual constraints, environmental constraints, and task constraints. Uh, individual constraints is really kind of based on your skeleton. Certain people have like slightly different shaped skeletons. Like you'll hear like people like Stu McGill talk about like a Celtic hip, for instance, and say this isn't a good hip for squatting deep. Whether you agree with that or not, it's just an example of someone thinking along the lines of constraints of structural individual elements that like surgeries are good examples. Like, hey, I had surgery on my shoulder. I can only flex it up to 140 degrees it's got a plate in there and it won't go any further. Literally, it bangs against it. That's a constraint. Right. So let's throw out the individual constraints for now because that's like, hey, every human being and their individual constraints, that's a lot to deal with, although I do deal with it in the model. What I'll focus on here are the environmental constraints and the task constraints, but mostly the environmental constraints. To me, when I think about movement, the big thing that I can really modify is actually the setup of the movement, not the human. 
You know what I mean? Everyone gets focused on the human. I get interested in everything that's not the human and how that influences the exercise. So this is where I feel like I get into this semantics war with people that are that use the word stability. I don't use that word because it, for various reasons I don't need to get into. What the main factor when I think about exercises is something that I call ground. And I define ground as everything that's not the human being that the human being can push against during the exercise. And there I, I divide exercises into high ground, low ground, and moderate ground exercises. And they an course, absolutely, a high ground leg exercise would be a leg press. Okay. There's a seat, there's a backrest, there's handles, there's a sled that, that's moving that the person can push their feet into. Your butt's touching something, your back's touching something, your hands are touching something, your feet are touching something. And the things that they're touching have very low deformability characteristics to them. Mm -hmm. Okay. The backrest hopefully doesn't deform. That would be a disaster. The seat hopefully doesn't deform. That would be a disaster. The sled that they're put there, that is deforming. It's moving during the thing. Okay. But a low ground leg exercise would be something like a rear foot elevated split squat where the rear foot is in a TRX strap and the front foot is standing on a BOSU ball. Okay. The mm. TRX strap deforms all over the place. It's, it's moving. The BOSU ball is deforming all over the place. So I, I think about athletes as high ground and low ground and in between ground athletes, my nose tackle in football is my high ground athlete. My half pipe skateboarder is my low ground athlete. Mm. Low ground athletes are, are ones that dominate because they can turn and tumble at a very high level. And large body mass is not a characteristic of what's going to dominate in their sport. High ground athletes are ones that are trying to not turn and tumble. And typically more body mass is associated with being pretty good at your sport. There's a lot of ground in football. You know what I mean? Your two feet are planted on the ground. If you're a lineman, another person is jamming into you. You know, in if you are in the half pipe skateboard, there's literally nothing that you're touching except this board that deforms under your feet. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I try to ultimately land people into a shoot of high ground exercises, moderate ground exercises or low ground exercises, depending upon what kind of athlete they are. OK, some people will be like, oh, you're just repackaging the word stability. I don't think so. Just because when I, I define it and I just say it's just stuff that's not you and that stuff, the more of it that there is that you're touching and the less that that stuff deforms, the more that the exercise features ground, the less of it that there is and the more that that stuff deforms, the less ground you have during the exercise. Now, that's where people end, but everyone starts in the same place. And that same place is always high ground exercises. I need stuff to touch you. I need you to have a lot of feedback when you're learning how to do movements in the beginning mm -hmm. in order for you to be able to do these different motor patterns in a competent manner. And when I say motor patterns, I mean like, 
hey, a squat is different from a hinge, which is different than a press, which is different than a pull, which is different than running, which is different than throwing, which is different than changing directions. So there's, there's like fundamental motor patterns, but with all of them, I'm trying to give you lots of ground in the beginning so that you know where you are in space, that you have feedback, that you increase the probability that the person will execute it properly. And I have a whole other algorithm that tells you whether or not you're doing it properly. But if you're doing it properly, now you have permission to progress. And you would progress until you end up in the shoot of ground that corresponds with your goals, your sport. And once you're in that shoot, now you just bang around between a, you know three or four different exercises because you're going to get sick of the same thing eventually. So there's right. enough variation, but it's always going to correspond with what you really need to be working on that's specific to the demands that you're going to face and the tasks that you have to compete in. General population people, to me, are just going to end up in high ground exercises because those are the ones that have enough force and feedback and that you do properly to grow and change muscle tissue. This makes a lot of sense to me. It, this doesn't take a lot of convincing, and I don't see where people could have a problem with this. They do. It, well, yeah, they, whoever <laughs> they are, the Twitter sphere or whatever, but it makes a lot of sense. Um, and I'm thinking like from an from, from athletes that I've worked with, even on the same sport, like a receiver. Exactly. What you're basically saying here is this nose guard is an environment where anti like preventing rotation of movement, like isometric is very important and versus this, you know, wide receiver where there's a little bit of both, right? They're going to be sprinting more than this big guy. They want to be able to rotate and move, but they also have to have the ability to stabilize and push. And so you're, but if you see everybody within this same group doing the same exact thing all the time, to me, that shows that's an incompetent coach. Just like if I were to take somebody right off the street and put them into this skateboarder program, I'm most likely going, and that skateboarder has been doing this for eight or 10 years with you, they're going to get hurt. So for our look better, feel better folks, now this may, this is why I, you know, I don't even think there's an argument for this, but why machines are wonderful. And if you got a problem with that, like, why would you not want to put somebody that's 55 years old, overweight, that wants to get uh, wants to increase their lean body mass because we know they're going to live longer if they do and put them with a bunch of machines and train them and teach them how and give them a lot of proprioceptive feedback so they can execute these patterns. And then, yeah, you want to move them out of you that can, shoot. You can always get them, but it's, you know, and, and what I, I try to do is, you know, within this model, I have 10 avenues of providing ground. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, it, it's always like, Hey, start static. Start with a bilateral stance, both feet planted on the ground. Start with short levers. Start with more constraints. Like basically a machine is a ton of constraints. It can only go on the path. Start with reactive neuromuscular training. Start with an easier position to manage gravity. Start mm. with appropriate load, but load by itself is more ground. It's easier to squat with a little bit of weight than it is to squat with body weight. You know what I mean? You ever yeah. see that? A goblet squat usually looks a lot better than a body weight squat. You know, it's it's like there's I rather than stability, because people are like, oh, you're just, you know, you're you're just taking the word stability and changing it to ground. I'm like, 
I don't think so. I'm talking about things that are outside of you only. And when, when people talk about stability, they don't give me any specifics in terms of like, hey, these are the pieces that make something more stable. So if you like the word stability, then okay, fine. Keep going with that word. Just, you know, here's this list of things that you can use as tools to actually specifically make the exercise, in my mind, more ground. But if you want to say it's more stable, stick with that word. Well, if anybody's interested in learning more, and I think if you're a strength coach, if you're a physical therapist, or if you're a parent that wants to be able to accurately assess is somebody doing harm, or maybe you have an interest in helping your child, I think this is a phenomenal resource. So we will put links to your book and your courses in the show notes. But this has been phenomenal. Like, I really love this constraints-based approach. And I'm going to find a link to that paper and put it in the show notes as well. Yeah, it's a great paper. You know, as a last piece that I think really makes this come clear to people, I would say, hey, look, if you imagine you're teaching a five-year-old how to shoot a basketball, is the first shot that you're going to try to teach them a half-court shot or a three-pointer? No, it's way too hard. You're probably going to start with a layup, okay? And then once they practice the layup and they have good mechanics, Now you can move them a little further away from the hoop. Before you know it, they're going to be able to catch and shoot off of a pass. They're going to dribble and be able to shoot. They can shoot with the right hand, the left hand, underhand, overhand, hook shot. You can expand the playbook into whatever you want. But if you start with the wrong place, you're making it so much harder on yourself. So I really tried to find the common denominator that allows you to be able to create the layup for every training exercise you could possibly think of. Start with the layup, move towards the fancy stuff if you need to. But if you have a better starting place and a more clear pathway to get there, it's going to make your life so much better. I love that. That is a beautiful way to describe this. Thanks again for listening to the Blueprint Podcast. And if you are a longtime listener and you have yet to leave us a comment and review, would you please do me a favor? Push pause right now. Go to the Apple Podcast app and leave us a comment and review as this simple action will help us reach more people with the message of the blueprint. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you on the next episode.